We are in Revelation chapter number 14, and as you are turning there, I wanted to just talk a little bit about last week, part number one message. We were in Revelation 7 last week, and we identified who these 144,000 are. And I'll just briefly say what we saw last week. They are elect Jews in the tribulation period. We also identified from the scripture who the elect are. We saw that it can be Israel, it can be angels, it can be the church, or even the term elect can be a reference to Jesus Christ himself. He is the only individual referred to as elect, and here these 144,000 are the only ones that are called elect in which an actual number is connected to the elect. And so Jews in the tribulation period are who these 144,000 are. Let's all stand and we'll sing. Uh, we'll sing. We'll, uh, we're not going to sing it. We're going to read it. Revelation 14 and verse number 1. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion and with him an hundred forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Our message part number two today is the 144,000 Jews. We're going to talk about the character of these 144,000. Join me as we ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that we can be together here today, and we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for the privilege uh, to be in church, and we thank you for the Bible and teaching us things that are uh, going to happen in the future. And I pray that you would help us as we rightly divide the word of truth that we would understand the things we need to understand out of the book of Revelation and the things that we don't understand. Lord, help us to not go down any paths that would get us off track and away from you. We see that so frequently. And Lord, as we look at the character of these 144,000, we know none of them by name, but you certainly do. Even, Even before it happens, you know them. And God, we look at their character and we see some things that certainly we all should aspire to. So I pray that you'd help me to present uh, these truths here today with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that your power would work in our hearts. There be anyone here today that is without Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless them and help them and draw them to you. Bring conviction. Point them toward the only hope of this world, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd get glory and honor, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Every indicator of our text points to the idea that God did not choose these 144,000 Jews arbitrarily, but rather based on their character. Our current dispensation of grace makes it difficult to comprehend that God actually could or would have criteria when he calls or chooses people. Not to mention the fact that in today's day of grace, the concept of grace has been dangerously distorted and perverted by modern contemporary Christianity. We read in Jude, verse number 4, For there are certain men crept in unaware, not as Brother Dan Metters said, crept in their underwears. He said it, not me. But Jude does warn us seriously that there will be men that will creep in. They're creeps. They come in unaware. They're hard to recognize. They look right. They have results and they have big ministries and they sell lots of books. Who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. When Jude says they're of old, they're a lot like Balaam, the prophet of old who tried to mix truth and error, and he desired the, the reward of unrighteousness. He just wanted glory and fame, and he wanted to use the things of God in order to obtain those things. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, what Jude is saying that there's going to be preachers, especially in the last days, that they're going to come and they're going to deceive you. They're going to talk to you about the grace of God, and they're going to give you this impression that the grace of God means I can live however I want, and God's going to be just perfectly fine, and He's just going to welcome me with open arms into heaven. I got news for you, that is not the grace of God in the Bible. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he thought it was preposterous to think that. He said, what? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he said. And so they have twisted and perverted the grace of God. But when we think of this concept of God actually having criteria... It's a little bit difficult for people because people are saved today by the grace of God, and it is not according to our pedigree. I read in the Bible that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and yet God says of him that he was righteous, and that he was a just man and a perfect man. I find that man uh, that Moses was chosen by God because Moses made a choice himself. He chose God over the riches and the glory of Egypt. David was chosen by God, but yet God said, I'm seeking a man who is after my own heart. He had criteria. He didn't just randomly pick and choose. Now, I understand that God can certainly save the worst of sinners, Yes, it is true that God seeks those that are not seeking Him. But to think that all of His dealings with mankind are arbitrary is to deny a majority of the Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Bible says that Paul, 
on the road to Damascus that God had to really strike him down. But God also said, it's hard for you, Paul. He said, you're kicking against the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was dealing with the Apostle Paul. He was getting it and he was kicking against it and God recognized that. There was something going on in the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul. I personally believe that it started at the stoning of Stephen. That's just my personal opinion. I can't prove that. But I think that as Paul held the garments of those that were throwing rocks at Stephen and he saw Stephen look up to heaven and he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. This Pharisee in in Paul's heart is going, how could he act that way? I'll tell you why he could act that way. Because he knew that there was a resurrection. And he knew that as soon as he breathed his last breath, he would be in the presence of the Jesus that he saw at that moment standing at the right hand of God. And that was so real and so powerful that it began to work on Paul's heart. And he did what many of us have done. When that conviction sets in, instead of running to God, we run away from God. We run further into our sin or further into our false religion. All we're doing is trying to get relief from what's going on inside. But listen, the only thing that can give relief and the only thing that can fill that void is Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul, uh, God does save the worst of sinners. But I think of Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10, the first Gentile that was saved. Listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 34. Remember that Peter is perplexed. How could God save this Gentile? They're, they're not a Jew. They're uncircumcised. They don't keep the dietary laws. They don't keep Sabbath. All of the things that were important to Peter. And he said, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So we see here that Cornelius, there was some, there was some criteria there. Here Cornelius was seeking God. He was giving alms. He was praying to God and so forth. I'm not saying that God won't save those that aren't seeking. I'm not saying that God won't save the worst of sinners, but I am saying that God looks down and sometimes, more often than not, He's looking at hearts and He's looking at lives. You know, have you ever noticed that the majority of people that get saved in today's day and age are children? You know why that is? Because they've not hardened their heart in sin. They've not made conscious decisions of rejecting God and saying, no, I want the devil. Of course, we never say that consciously, usually. But when we choose sin and we choose the world, we're saying we're aligning ourselves with him. You know, I resisted God all too much in my high school years. Thank God he got through to me and You know, we talked on the radio this past Thursday about faith deconstruction. We're going to talk more about it this Thursday. But you know, more and more people are departing from the faith that they grew up in. And you know what it is? It's a heart problem. Because somebody told them, hey, if you'll pray this magical prayer, 
then you'll be on your way to heaven. And so they pray that prayer as a five, six, seven, eight-year-old child. They pray that prayer, and they had no idea what they were really doing. They just were doing what they were told. And so they grow up, and God's never real to them because he didn't actually move inside. I'm not trying to complicate Christianity or salvation. Please don't misunderstand me here this morning. But I'm saying that we're living in a day and age where people's hearts are far from God, and yet they think they're on their way to heaven just because they prayed some magical prayer. That's turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And so let's take a look now at the character of these 144,000. First of all, the the first point that I'm going to bring is not in our text. It's actually in Matthew 24. If you'll recall, last week there were some connective verses between Matthew 24 and Revelation 7. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 24, For there shall arise false Christs, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The first characteristic of the 144,000 is they possessed a high level of discernment. They could discern between truth and error. They could recognize an imitation of false Christ. And Jesus said, look, this is how slick that the devil's going to be. And by the way, in the tribulation period, when the Antichrist shows up, I mean, there's going to be a false prophet. He's going to give life to an image. It's going to be miraculous. And he's going to show up. He's going to come in speaking peace. I mean, you talk about a world ruler that's just going to bring everybody together. I mean, it's going to be everyone. It's going to be a big rainbow. And it's going to be LGBTQ, and it's going to be Democrats and Republicans, and it's going to be all kinds of nationalities and ethnicities, and the Antichrist is going to come and just bring them all together. Say, how is that going to happen? I mean, we look at that and we would say that's an impossibility. Well, as we say, the cliche, you better give the devil his due. He's slick and he's a deceiver. He deceived Eve in the garden, and he has a master plan. And let me tell you something, parents raising children, the best thing that you can do to help your children is to protect them from the influences of this world and make sure that they are under the influences of the Word of God. Why are people departing from the faith today? I think that one of the things is because there's people that weren't truly born again, but I think also because they don't know the Bible. And they've been influenced what to think and how to think more by the education system and more by Disney than they've been influenced by Jesus Christ. The average Christian today goes to church on a regular basis and they're ignorant of the Bible. And that's why it's so easy for some slick-talking preacher to say something that sounds good. And I'll say it again. These modern preachers, the problem isn't And what they're saying, a lot of what they're saying is true. It's what they're leaving out that is the big concern. They're cherry picking. They're pulling out all of these positive things so that they can have a big crowd. 
they're not going to be preachers that are going to tell you like it is. That's the kind of preacher that can help you. Someone who will tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly, because there's a lot of negative stuff in this book. You know who spoke of hell more than anyone in the Bible? Jesus Christ himself. And what do they say today? If we were to preach a hellfire and brimstone message, modern Christianity says, well, that's not very Christ-like. That's not like Jesus. Well, they can say that because they have a concept of Jesus that is based on some book that they read by some guru rather than reading the Bible for themselves. It's the only way to have discernment is to have truth. The more that our hearts and minds and the way that we see this world and the way that we see ourselves has been affected by the Word of God, then the more discernment that we're going to have. These 144,000 had a high level of discernment so much that Jesus used them as an example to express just how deceptive that the Antichrist is going to be in the tribulation period. We're seeing a whole human race being preconditioned. We preached on this uh, during COVID, on how everything around us is preconditioning the human race to receive the beast and to receive his mark. All around us, from Hollywood to the education system to all of the, the medical things that are going on. It is crazy and insane. You say, what are you, are you preaching conspiracy? Yes and no. I'm not preaching conspiracy that came from the internet. I'm preaching conspiracy that comes from the book of Revelation. It's all right there. The devil's going to do it. And you know what? God says to occupy until Jesus comes. We're not supposed to be worried about all these conspiracies and all that stuff. I've seen good Christian men and women get off track because of conspiracy. You know, they got something off the internet and they just know it's got to be true. And the truth of the matter is, is even if that conspiracy is accurate, there ain't nothing you can do about it. So get busy serving God, amen? Grab you a handful of tracts back there in the foyer and go hand out tracts if you want to do something to counteract all the conspiracies that are going on in this world. When people get born again, then that's the only hope that they have. Number two, we find that Jehovah is written in their foreheads. Look at verse number one once again. It says in the last part of the verse, having his father's name, that's the lamb's father's name. We read about that in the Old Testament. His name is Jehovah. And his name is written in the foreheads of these 144,000. Now, this is not an example of inking. I personally believe that this was done by God and not by man. Now, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to have a mark that he places in their foreheads or in the palm of their hand. And I believe that that's going to be done by man. Satan is an imitator and he's a counterfeit. He cannot produce or create anything on his own. What he does is he takes everything that's of God and he perverts it and corrupts it. Revelation 13, verse number 17, it says, No man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark 
or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So yeah, the beast has a name, but he has a number. And in the book of Revelation, it is given as the number 666. I don't recommend that you avoid or delay getting saved. I believe we're in the last day. If you don't get saved and the rapture takes place, and you miss it, and you find yourself in the tribulation period, don't take any mark in your forehead or in your hand. And be prepared to get your head cut off. Be prepared to starve to death. Be prepared to be tortured. Be prepared to be persecuted. Let me tell you something. If You know how easy it is to get saved right now? I'm a sinner, Lord. I know it. I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus, and I want you to be my... You, you, you ask Him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's never been a time period in the history of man where it's simpler to be saved than what it is in this time period. What makes you think that you're going to go through all of that in the tribulation period? But if you choose to put it off, If you choose to kick against the Holy Spirit like Paul was doing, and you find yourself in the tribulation period, I highly recommend that you don't take any marks, and you better run to Jesus Christ just as fast as you can. Now, these 144,000 with the, the name of Jehovah written in their forehead, I believe that these were the primer for the new covenant with Israel. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, Hebrews 8, verse number 10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. I believe the 144,000 are just priming the pump for what God wants to do for the entire nation of Israel. I believe that there will be others that endure to the end in the tribulation period more than just this 144,000, but this 144,000 are an example. They have the character and God writes his name in their foreheads and I believe it's a demonstration of what he has for the hearts and minds of the children of Israel. Notice it says in Hebrews 8:10 it refers to the house of Israel. It's a new covenant. And by the way, we are not as Gentiles. We are not under the new covenant, all right? We are under the New Testament, but we are not part of that new covenant with Israel. You say, well, I've heard it differently my whole life. I'm sorry, but it's not, it's not true, all right? A covenant is an agreement. We are saved by grace. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what God has planned For Israel is written out explicitly in Romans 11. We see it here in the book of Revelation. The Old Testament prophecy and the Psalms tell all about how that the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, it's going to be in Jerusalem where Jesus is sitting on the throne of his father David and Israel is going to be the chief of nations. What God had in mind for Israel when Jesus came the first time as their Messiah 
it will be fulfilled. There's going to be a 2,000 plus year delay, but God is going back to Israel after the tribulation period. Number three, we find in verse number three that they sing a new song. It says they sung a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Now, this is a great concept, but it's another idea that's been perverted in modern Christianity. The truth is opposite of what modern Christianity teaches and practices. Here's what modern Christians say. We're supposed to sing a new song. In other words, we're not supposed to sing the old hymns. We're supposed to sing new stuff. That's not what new song in the Bible is talking about. What it means is that we need to have new music that reflects our relationship with God rather than the worldly music we used to identify with. And hey, I got news for you. That's lyrics and sound. Folks, music is not worship. We don't have, we have song leaders. We don't have worship leaders. You know who our worship leader is? The Holy Spirit of God. We gather here together and we preach the Word of God and we, we demonstrate and encourage all of us to worship God in spirit. That's our heart. Listen, you can sing You can sing songs. You could say, I'm not going to sing any song that wasn't written by Fanny Crosby. But that doesn't mean that you're worshiping God in your spirit. You just go through it mechanically. Like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I wish you'd hurry up and get through with this. I'm tired of standing up. That's what you're thinking, and you're not putting any heart into it. You're not worshiping the Lord in spirit. And God wants us. He's seeking such to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Listen, brothers and sisters, we should be putting our heart and our soul and our strength into when we sing. Not just watch, hey, I enjoyed the kids. What a wonderful job that they did. But worshiping the Lord and music, it's powerful and it's spiritual, but it's not a performance. It's something we're supposed to demonstrate from our heart. God seeks such to worship Him in spirit. That's emotion. That's intellect. And by the way, you're not going to find better songs than the old-fashioned hymns that speak to our heart, our emotions, and our intellect. It's modern stuff. We'll get you going emotionally, but so will the world's music. Music is powerful, and it reflects what's already in our heart. Hey, listen to what Ephesians chapter number 5 says, verse number 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're singing to the Lord. Amen? We're not performing. We are singing to the Lord, and it's supposed to be melody in our heart. This modern stuff, you know, they have a, they have a music genre called Christian rap. That's not a melody. How can, how in the world, that doesn't ever speak to, how could that speak to anybody's heart that has the Spirit of God living inside of them? Christian rock? 
Christian heavy metal? Are you kidding me? I got right with God from all of that garbage. I didn't have to go to a seminar or even read the Bible. When I got right with the Lord and and I went into a Christian music store and I saw all the album covers of Striper and Amy Grant. (laughs) Yeah. Even some of the Gaithers. Oh, I just stepped on some toes. Hey, if it's self-glory, Jesus Christ doesn't share His glory with anyone. That's why I like Brother Spurgeon singing. I'd rather listen to Brother Spurgeon than the Gaithers any day or whatever your favorite southern gospel is. I'd rather listen to David Spurgeon I got a I got a, a CD. It used to be a cassette, and it wore out, and I had to get a CD made of Lester Roloff singing from the heart. <laughs> I can listen to that all day long, every day. Why? Because it's not a performance. It's from the heart, and it makes me think about the words that are being sung. I think I think that's why I like Brother Spurgeon. I'm not focusing on how he's singing it. I'm focusing on the words that he's singing, and I'm telling you, I like it. I believe the Holy Spirit likes that. The Holy Spirit likes a sweet melody. Anything that's got beat-driven, that's not what God likes. Listen, if I'm going to sing a song to you, I'm going to sing a song that you want to hear, right? I'm not going to try to minister to your heart with music that's my taste. I'm going to try to minister to your heart with your taste. And should we not do the same thing with the Holy Spirit of God? Lord, What what's your taste in music? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Lord, what's your taste? If you'll sincerely, genuinely seek the Lord and say, Lord, show me what your taste in music is. If you really mean business, oh, he'll make it crystal clear. You'll know it in your heart of hearts. You'll recognize the difference between the old song and the new song. Let's move on along here before I lose completely all of you Gaither fans. I'm not saying, there's some good Gaither music, okay? There's some good, there's, there's plenty of good stuff out there. But I've also seen some of it. If you'll be honest, you'd recognize it's about making money, not about glorifying Jesus Christ. I get sick and tired of these Christian artists who live like the devil and try to say that they're representing God when they sing. I get sick and tired of it. David was a man who ministered in music and he played that harp and the Bible says that he was a good man and right, you know. The, the quality of character of the musician is just as important as the quality of the music. That's biblical. All right, so let's move right on along before I alienate any more of you. Number four, they were redeemed from the earth. This is probably my favorite point in all of these points here today. Verse number three, it says, they sung a new song. Before the four beasts and the elders, no man could learn it but them. But look at the end of the verse, which were redeemed from the earth. Redemption is much more than just being saved from the punishment of the afterlife. 
It carries the meaning that we have been saved out of an evil world. Folks, we no longer fit in with the world. That's what redeemed is. They were redeemed out of, from the earth. We are saved from this evil world. Vance Havner said, if you're more comfortable around the world, it's probably because you're of it. If you're saved and redeemed, we are not of this world. Heaven is our home. That's what our loyalty belongs to. Uh, hey, listen, I, I would, I would fight for our flag if it meant our freedom. I appreciate all of the patriots. But if being loyal to that flag means being disloyal to that flag, I'm choosing that flag because Jesus Christ is the only one that died for our sins. He's the one I'm going to be all eternity with. Listen, this whole earth is going to be blown up someday and recreated and there's not going to be a United States and a Ukraine and a Russia and a China. It's just going to be the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's who we ought to be faithful to because we have been redeemed from the earth. Number five, verse number four says that these 144,000 are sexually pure. Now, how much do we need to say about sexual purity? It needs to be said in this day and age that we live in, that's like Sodom and Gomorrah, that's like the days of Noah, it's days where sexual purity and people who are, you know what, Hebrews 13 says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is supposed to be between one man and one woman. And any sexual relations outside of that is wickedness, it's evil, and it's sin. You say, but everybody's doing it. So what? Does not the Bible say that straight is the way and narrow that leads to life? Broad is the road to destruction? I would not look around and see what everybody else is doing as a test to see if my behavior is right. That's the, that's the dumbest thing that any of us can do. You look to the Word of God and you find that anything, any intimacy, and that has to do with our eyes, that has to do with our body. By the way, if you're a born-again Christian, you got Jesus Christ living inside of you. And 1 Corinthians 6, 6 says that when you fornicate, you're bringing Jesus right into that with you. It's especially a horrible thing. All right, number 6. Verse number 4, once again, it says that they follow the Lamb. This is the only place where Jesus is referred to as a lamb other than to the church. I'm sorry, I didn't read that right. The only place where Jesus is referred to as a lamb to the church is in 1 Peter 1.18. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was preaching that to manifest Jesus Christ to Israel. And here these 144,000, they are following the Lamb wherever He went. I think that it would be good for all of us to follow Jesus Christ. But I also want to remind you that where Jesus went is a cross. And as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's this prosperity gospel is nonsense. The Lord may lead you into a trial or a trouble or a persecution. He may lead you through that so that the life of the Lamb can be manifest in your life. That's what it's all about. We are saved, yeah, to get forgiveness of our sins. Yes, to deliver us from a devil's hell, but also and primarily so that we can be a trophy of His grace so that our lives can manifest the life of Jesus Christ living inside of us. Number seven, it says that these 144,000 were without guile in verse number five. Guile is craft and cunning, artifice or being artificial, duplicity, deceit. These 144,000, they weren't fake. They had no hidden agendas and they were not double-minded. All of these things that I just said are sadly characteristics of the average Christian today. It ought not be so. God is not pleased when we're fake and have hidden agendas and double-minded. He wants us to be real. We'll never be right until we get real. We need to look in the mirror and just be who we are before God. Open with Him. And then as we come into the house of God, we need to trust Him and follow Him. We need to make sure that God's agendas are our agendas and God's agendas are not hidden. He's uh, pretty open. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And sadly, this day and age, people don't always say what they mean or mean what they say. But the Lord says that anything other than that is of evil. So we need to be real and without guile. And then lastly, number eight, it says they were without fault in verse number five. doesn't mean that they were sinless. It means that they were without fault. Jude verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we are all sinners. But if we do not allow the sanctification process to take place in our life, then we will stand before Him one day at the judgment seat of Christ and our life will become a big bonfire. I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'd like for my life to pass through the fire and there be some gold and silver and precious stones. But listen, if if we don't deal with our sin... You say, are you you saying, preacher, that you, you don't commit sin anymore? Oh, no. I do, and you do as well. But when we do, we need to go to 1 John 1, 9. We need to go confessing it and getting cleansing and getting back 
with God. Listen, if you've sinned and you've messed up, if you'll get it right with the Lord, then you can be blameless and you can be without fault. Because it's under the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's an absolute thing. The Bible says that He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I conclude with this. According to the teaching of the Bible, these 144,000 will be raptured. Now this is a different rapture than the rapture of the church. In Matthew 24 and verse 31, the context is these elect... And Jesus said, He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. I think you can see word usage and terminology that connect with Revelation 7, connect with Revelation 14. In Revelation 7, these 144,000 were on the earth, but here in Revelation 14, we find that they are before the throne. Something happened. They got raptured. They got caught up. And so they're going to be raptured. But what matters the most to you and I is that there is a rapture coming, a day coming in which everyone that is saved is going to be caught up and everybody who is not saved is going to be left behind. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse number 51, Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not everyone's going to die, but every one of us is going to be changed into a glorified body if we're saved. In a moment, watch this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. How fast is a twinkling of an eye? Really fast? Very fast? Super fast. How many adjectives do you need? Twinkling of an eye. That's stinking fast. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There will be no warning. Twinkling of an eye. Oh, I'll just get right. Dear Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. You know, you, you think that trumpet is going to sound long enough that you can do, do business with God? I'm afraid not. There will be no warning. It could happen any moment. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. And we all believe that it's going to happen soon. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you're not saved, you're going to get left behind and it ain't going to be pretty. If you're saved and that trumpet sounds, you're not going to have time to become faultless, to get right with God, to confess and to repent. You're not going to have time to start living your life the way that God wants you to live so that you can gain rewards. You say, What difference do rewards make as long as I don't go to hell? I got news for all of us. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a picnic. Yeah, it's better than Luke 16, the torments of hell. But if you think for a split second that those rewards at the judgment seat of Christ are not going to be an important thing, 
You're missing the boat somewhere. Why would God create the accountability of the judgment seat of Christ and it not mean something to us for all eternity? It's going to mean something. It's going to be very valuable. Are you going to go through eternity with regrets? Or are you going to go through eternity with rewards? It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Are you ready? If I was you and you're not saved, when we have this invitation, if I was you, I wouldn't worry about what anybody thinks. I'd get down here to this altar and I'd be asking God to save me as a sinner. If I was a Christian and I was living like I used to live back in my teenage years, and I wasn't living for God, and I wasn't being faithful to God, or if I had, listen, if you've got sin that you're hiding, or you think that you're hiding, I would get it right with God, and I would repent. I'd get down here before it's too late, because that trumpet could sound. I'm not trying to manipulate you to make a decision. I'm just warning you, because I don't want you to say, preacher, why didn't you warn me when that trumpet sounds?